And we're live. Hello. I nearly missed that because I was fiddling around with my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. And welcome to season two, episode one of History's Greatest Idiots, the show in which we look back through the corridors of history. I was tempted to say annals then, but I've already done that one. Um, <laughs> and, and bring you um, examples of stupidity, the likes of which humor, humanity rarely sees, although too often for our liking, um, and give you lessons from them that you can learn from and never repeat those same mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We humans, we kind of like make mistakes. And also it provides us with swarms of entertainment. So thank you, idiots of the world out there. <laughs> Joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing fantastic. It's uh, Excellent. It's been a busy and productive week. And I just like finished, finished editing up uh, episode four of that Adventures in College Safety podcast yes. I'm working on. That's so, fantastic. Uh, I'm excited. That one seems to be doing pretty well. Got a decent amount of listeners. Fantastic. And uh, where can people listen to that if they want to? Uh, Anchor.fm slash Adventures in College Safety. Or fantastic. anywhere else they feel like getting it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably available on, on pretty much every platform now. If they, if they just search for Adventures in College Safety, they'll probably find it on, on Spotify yes. and Apple Podcasts and Google. <laughs> like anyone uses Google Podcasts. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, all the platforms will have that available and same way that we're available. Thank you so much to anchor who are our sponsors for pretty much every episode and also our hosting platform. And, uh, despite the slight reticence at giving us advertising after we pestered them enough, they finally caved and gave us advertising. Thank you so much, anchor. We might be the first <laughs> only half American podcasts who actually get advertising. We're, we're mostly, most of our audience is in America. Um, some of it is in the UK, but half of us, as in myself, are based in the UK. So it was a, a distinct honor to be potentially the first non-American, non-wholly American podcast to get advertising. But hey, <laughs> 80% of our listeners come from America. So don't worry, your money is safe advertising. <laughs> anyway, um, yes. Um, so how have you been? How is stuff going in Arizona in the uh, the depths of January? Uh, it's it's good. Weather's nice. I mean, everybody and their mother has COVID, but my family <laughs> has been sidestepping it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm rocking and rolling, man. How Excellent. about you? Yeah, um, I, I, we were just talking briefly before the stream. I've had a very busy few weeks um, because I, my work is is never not busy, really. And uh, last week was particularly good because I launched a new podcast that I've been working with some clients on, uh, some clients from an advertising agency called Allen. Um, and they uh, launched a podcast called B2B Marketing Solved. And within 48 hours, it was the number one marketing podcast in the UK. So I feel vindicated. I know. Hey. I spent. We've <laughs> spent like two and a half months putting this podcast together, booking guests. Uh, one of the guys coming up is like the head honcho at, of B2B Marketing at Google. So we're kind oh, of excited yeah. about that, yeah. Um, and yeah, I uh, we we were number one in in the UK for marketing podcasts, uh, all of them, and Good there deal, are man. hundreds of marketing podcasts out there. So I'm I'm super pleased that my work has paid off and that the client are happy. And you know, um, when you achieve something after working very hard, it's such a great feeling until you realize that there's a million other things to do. Yeah, you, <laughs> you're here. Keep going. 
yeah yeah <laughs> great well done do it again um <laughs> which is like oh, okay uh can i have a holiday first no you're great do it again <laughs> uh, so yeah and also i i got to play my third president um in in a uh if you go to youtube and ser search up endicott three uh, so that's end e-n-d-i-c-o-double-t-3 um i am playing the part of a former u.s uh senator who in uh, this video becomes president thomas dewey who was okay. a Republican uh, incumbent around about the war era, um, just around about the time that uh, Roosevelt passed away. So I got to voice him, and it's the third president, or the third, well, third, fi third fictional president I've got to play. <laughs> I actually have voiced Nixon multiple times before as well, um, and I've also voiced um, Henry Kissinger, which is one of my favorite voices to do, because you get to go down here and talk about how I freed... Uh, I signed the paris peace accords and ended the vietnam war and uh, yeah so like <laughs> get to do my kiss and do which i love but yeah I, i've had a productive few weeks but now that we're in season two we kind of get to go some interesting places because we've covered a lot of bases but i was worried that when season two kicked off that we weren't going to have that many people left to cover right i thought are we going to do it we've made 30 hours of idiot content so far Ooh, um, we it's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I think there's a lot more out there. And uh, such was the availability of idiots that I had to choose between three this week. And I've gone with one. But Derek, who is your first idiot of well, season two, please? Okay. So uh, I'm kind of excited to bring bring this guy up because he's been uh, a long time entry on my list of not cool people. Right. Okay. But I'm... I'm also a little bit nervous because he's local here in my neck of the woods in Arizona, even though he's captured the attention of the nation and the world. Um, wow. I'm, I'm nervous because he's litigious and mm. vindictive sometimes, allegedly, perhaps. Allegedly. Allegedly <laughs> is going to be a word you hear a lot in this podcast. Sir, if you want to take the money we make from this podcast by suing us, you feel free to take the $2 that we'll get in advertising <laughs> revenue. Hey, 216. <laughs> yeah, sorry, 216. I, I do beg your pardon. But yeah, so carry on, please. Okay. He not only is he litigious and vindictive, allegedly, but allegedly. he's got followers and um supporters or whatever you want to call them that are equally fucking creepy. Um oh. So he was an American lawman in the Southwest for a time. He was touted America's toughest sheriff. Okay. No, I, that does ring a bell briefly. Even in the UK, we've kind of heard of stuff like that. So, Well, the man that I present to you today is former Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Uh, for those of you that aren't real familiar with him, he, you might remember him from episode 11, where we briefly touched on him while he was being batshit crazy with Steven Seagal. That's right. He did. He was part of the drugs raid that ran yes. over someone's dog with yep. a tank. Uh-huh. That sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> that dude. Okay. So, let's I'm start from the beginning. Okay. Uh, he was born in Springfield, Massachusetts on June 14th, which is Flag Day. For uh, the Americans that celebrate Flag Day, okay. Uh, although, is that is that a worldwide holiday, or is that just something I don't we do here? Think so. Like, and and also, if it's Flag holiday. Day, does that mean that you 
celebrate all flags? Is it like a day where vexillologists go a bit mad and put up every flag they can find? Or is it just <laughs> that one specific flag? Maybe it's like uh, an Earth Day and you've got to plant a flag yes. and then you own it. <laughs> and then uh -huh. it grows into a million bigger flags. <laughs> so uh, he's born June 14th, 1932. Uh, to... 32? Jeez, he's, he's still well, he's with old us. as hell. Yes. Yeah, shit. He's as old he as actually, my grandmother. He lost his wife uh last year so i oh, was sorry about that yes Sheriff. i am because yeah. i bet you she's probably that. cool yeah um anyway his parents were both italian immigrants so he was a first generation american citizen yes yeah, that's right yeah um so before he became the bane of most immigrants <laughs> existence he was the son of immigrants himself which would make yeah. a person think that he might be sympathetic to the hardships of people that are like trying to come up or start a new life in a crazy you place would... we call the United States. Yeah, you would think so. No. Yeah, it's not the case. <laughs> I'll dive into that in a little bit, though. Uh, his mother died in childbirth, so oh, wow. he had kind of a rough start. Yeah, that's tragic. His his dad ran a small Italian grocery store. <clears throat> and in I his own Italian words... Grocery Sorry. What's that? <laughs> I love in Massachusetts. Oh, wow. That so, must have been right, really rare. Wow, at that time. Goodness well, me. Well, I, th I mean, they migrated from mm. uh, Manhattan and the Bronx and whatnot, where sure. the Italian okay. immigrants were at that time. Yeah. I would imagine. But uh, his, in his own words, he spent his youth bouncing from home to home with members of his extended family in Springfield. Uh, he says it was his dad's idea of kind of making him feel at home and getting roots in the, in the country. Okay. Uh, he completed high school and worked at his father's store delivering groceries until he was 18, which is right. pretty cool because you think that's back in the 50s he's delivering groceries, which they're trying to tout it as a new thing today as a yeah. new technology. We deliver groceries. Absolutely. He's been around for a minute. Anyway, uh, in when he turned 18, he enlisted in the United States Army. And he served in the Army from 1950 to 1954 in the medical department. And he was stationed in France for part of his time in the military as a policeman. Even right. though okay. he tells the story, he was a veteran of the Korean War, despite never actually entering Korea's borders. St stolen honor. It's stolen not that there's honor. anything wrong with that, but that would no. be like me claiming to be a veteran of the Afghanistan War, even though I was in the Army at the same time, but never even left the United States. Right, sure. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, thank you for your service, though. Uh, just that it just wasn't in <laughs> Afghanistan, but thank you for your service. I, yes, anyway. <laughs> uh, moving on in 1954, Arpaio moved to Washington, D.C. after being discharged or leaving the service, and he joined the police force there. Sure, and he was a cop until 1957 when he moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, where he also served as a police officer, but only for six months before he was appointed as a special agent with the federal bureau of narcotics which Ooh. later became the drug enforcement administration or the dea right and i think right there that's his start into the journey of a world of being shady as fuck because that's what the dea is <laughs> yeah yeah i've heard in numerous examples over the years of I, I think the cia look at the dea and they're like dude you guys are shady yeah you're too shady for us <laughs> Stay away uh, from us. 
Anyway, during his 25-year tenure with the DEA, he was stationed in Argentina and Mm. Turkey and Mexico. And that's a weird place for a domestic law enforcement agency to be stationed. Yeah, that sounds like spy work, really? That sounds like drug-based spy work, pretty much. Pretty much. It's, it's where to find the next new big thing. Anyway, yeah. he he came back to the States and landed it as the head of the DEA's Arizona branch. Hooray for the citizens of Arizona, I suppose. <laughs> um, <laughs> after leaving the DEA, he became involved with a travel venture before oh. becoming sheriff down here. He signed on with his wife's travel agency, Star World Travel Agency, based in Scottsdale, which is still in operation. And wow. so uh, they do actually do full scale travel agent services, not just this other thing that I'm going to tell you about. <laughs> um, it seems like it would be innocent, but it goes sketchy uh, to quote an article from the Phoenix New Times on the subject. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, there was no Sheriff Joe Arpaio, but in the mid-1980s, there was an ex-DEA agent named Joe Arpaio who was selling flights into space from a Scottsdale travels firm. What? Yes, sir. Uh, uh, space flights. <laughs> okay, so... Right, so he wasn't in the DEA? Well, he had retired from the DEA after oh, 25 years, okay. and right. he went to yes, work sir. for his wife's travel agency in Scottsdale. And he was and... selling flights into space... Because people in Arizona. Yes, because regular travel out of Arizona just isn't enough. <laughs> uh, while okay. working there, he sold uh, these trips for $52,000 to go into Earth's orbit on the Phoenix E space rocket, which he had oh. hoped to take off from either Edwards Air Force Base or Vandenberg Air Force Base. And the blast off was expected to be seven years later in 1992. Right. which was the 500th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's voyage to the new world. Okay. No flights were ever made though. In no, case you were wondering. I, mean, I, I, I think I would have heard of that. Really? <laughs> you know, I'd have been like in the early nineties, I'd have been like 10 or 11, 12 maybe. And I would have been like, I would have been well into that shit. Like I would have been like, Oh my God, you can, the parents, to can we go to Arizona, please? <laughs> Holy shit. I want to go. I'd have heard of that in passing. Yeah, you would but... think. So, the interesting tidbit about the entire venture is that it was actually just ahead of its time by maybe forty years. The spacecraft yeah. was supposed to have been built by Society Expeditions and Pacific American Launch Systems. Okay. I, that I imagine there's an acronym in there somewhere, but I'm not going to mess with it. Uh, they said that this rocket was going to take off and land vertically. Kind of like your average rocket in a Ray Bradbury story or, you know, SpaceX. Yeah. Yeah. It makes so sense. Yeah. He was he was going to space before the billionaires made it cool. Yeah. And jumped into the giant chrome penises and broke the hymen <laughs> of the atmosphere. So it's funny because at the time in 1988, the humans weren't capable of any sort of tech that was anywhere no. near resembling this. Not even in 1992 were we going to be capable of doing anything like that. Not even close, no. Despite that, tons of people signed up, I suppose. Uh, according to a 1996 Phoenix New Times article, 252 people paid the $7,000 deposit for 
the the trip. I guess it's five, more refundable, right? Well, five thousand uh, went into a refundable escrow, and okay. two thousand was non-refundable. Mm, that go. went into the Society Expeditions bank account. And if you do a little quick math, that means they collected over a half a million dollars just in non-refundable fees for a trip to space that never happened. Oh, that's awful. That is appalling behavior. This man's a sheriff or was a sheriff? Not Holy yet. <laughs> Somehow he did all he this and everybody's like, you know what? We should put him in law enforcement. He seems <laughs> on the up and up. <laughs> um, in 1992, when it came... He was elected sheriff of Maricopa County instead of going to space. And then he was reelected in 96, 2000, Jeez. 2004, 2008, and 2012. Oh my God, what was he doing to get himself reelected? Or was it just uh, like nobody ran against him? People ran against him, but he ran on the, like, the law and order ticket. And he appealed to our elderly Sun City and sure. uh, I guess pro-law enforcement at the time. Mm. Uh, people wanted to believe that you know law enforcement was good and having a, a, t a sheriff in there that was gonna uh, stop illegal immigration and save our jobs um was a good thing anyway right <laughs> <laughs> throughout his time as sheriff uh he was a total camera hound too mm. he did anything and everything that he could do to get media coverage he was constantly on the news any chance he could get. He was profiled all the time. He he claimed an average of 200 television appearances per month. Sorry, sorry, per month? I thought you were going to say per year. Nope. That's fucking insane. Always on the television. Holy Anytime shit. he could. I, Worse I, I than don't Trump on Twitter. <laughs> I don't understand lawmen who are, like, desperate to be part of the profile. Like, I can kind of, I mean, he did it a lot. I can kind of understand Jagger Hoover's need in the early days of the FBI somewhat because, like, there needed to be a face and whatever. But, like, we had a guy like that over in North Wales, a guy called Richard Brunstrom, who was notorious for being the center of attention. Whenever, like, a, a police thing would come round to film, like, or oh, police on the streets this week. He'd always be there. And then like, dude, you're the chief fucking executive. What are you doing here? <laughs> and then there was another time um, he uh, staged a, a deliberate break-in of the police headquarters so that he could show that their uh, security measures weren't up to scratch and then set off the alarm and prompted a, an armed response. Oh, geez. Uh, it was just him. And also he um, he held a press conference for bikers to illustrate that, you know, bikers were coming to North Wales to take advantage of the long, winding, quiet, like mountainous forest oh. roads and you mean have get a joy ride. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he was like, um, yeah, and this is what happens to them. And he held up a picture of like a dead body that had been involved in a motorcycle accident. And every, all the press in the room were like, <gasps> but one journalist was smart enough to go, have you had permission from the family to show this picture to us? Ooh. And he went, uh, uh, bye. It's, it's interesting that you ask about permission for photos because one of the things that Sheriff no. showed like to do was put up the mug shot and oh. uh, have people rate it like a hot or not sort of situation. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. He had the, the Maricopa <laughs> County inmate uh, mug shot website, oh. which people would go to and scroll through to see if your neighbor was on there, I guess. I don't know. Oh, wow. That's that kind of... I, I understand the need to make people aware of like, you know, instances and news and stuff. I think that like, publishing people's 
mugshots and stuff and like even like because in this country we have this thing where like they get their address published in oh, an article yeah so they'll be like so and so of this road this town and it's like what why are you fucking doing that the, uh, there are other people that live there why are you doxing that's them? messed up that is really <laughs> fucked up so yeah i i i that's well, i just find that all gross Add to that that it puts up what you're charged with as well, which is oh. fun considering you're innocent until proven guilty, right? Exactly. Ooh. How are you supposed to get an impartial jury? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they don't have the internet. You gotta have a jury of people that don't have the internet. Yeah, let's hope these old white conservatives who have voted him in year after year on a pro law and order ticket aren't biased against this alleged criminal who's now mm. been on the internet. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Well, the okay, so the thing, though, with those 200 television appearances per month is obviously it worked for something because he was reelected in 96, 2000, 2004, 2008. Uh, he served for 24 yeah. years from January Jeez. 1993 to January 1st, 2017. So so 1993, so he would have been 69 when he became when he became sheriff. That's he was about right. 34, yeah. 32, 34. Like 34, right. So 32, been, yeah, June 14th, 1932. So he would have been 71 when he took over as sheriff, right? Yep, that right. An old bastard, already retired from the government, <laughs> collecting a pension. He's like, I'm going to get elected and collect more government money. I know, but like, don't you think your sheriff should be a vital man? To a certain extent, don't you think he should be maybe under 55, potentially? Yeah, but he you was know? tough. He was I tough. Know. He was America's toughest sheriff. It's America's <laughs> toughest sheriff who has to take cod liver oil tablets in the fucking morning. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. That's just why do you why elect old people? What they're I don't know. miserable. They're always angry. Don't and, elect old people. Jesus. Yeah, and somebody that's been in public service for yeah. 25 years already is probably a little bit out of touch with what things are like if you're not in the if you're in the public sector. So exactly. I, 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 no disrespect to people who work for the government in various aspects of various different departments. I know my various members of my family have worked in the NHS at, at a variety of levels, all the way up to chief executive for decades, right? Mm -hmm. And I've known police officers, I've known politicians, I've known counselors, all of these people who worked for various levels of the UK government and establishment and stuff, they all get massively influenced by the shit they see every day. So if you've got someone who is an emergency uh, room nurse and who works there for 25 years, right, just sees gunshot wounds and damage and broken limbs and fights and vomit and drunks and blah, 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 that becomes their perception of the world. Which is Even when they retire. Up. So <laughs> that's a problem. And because yeah. they work so hard, they don't get to see the rest of the world. You know, that is an unfortunate truth right there. Yeah, it's scary. Anyway, sorry. Rant over. Carry on, please. That's all right. So <laughs> during his 24 years, uh, Sheriff Joe was accused of numerous types of police misconduct, including abuse of power, misuse of funds, failure to Ugh. investigate sex crimes, criminal negligence, uh, abuse of suspects in custody, wow. improper clearance of cases, unlawful enforcement of immigration laws. Uh, unlawful enforcement of election law violations. Uh, Jesus. And then a, a federal court monitor was appointed to oversee his office operations because of the complaints of racial profiling. And just like a little dive into 
a culture, I think, of the Maricopa County office, uh, mm-hmm. sheriff's office, is when he was on TV, he would do television shows like in late 2008 and early 2009, Joe Arpaio appeared on Smile, You're Under Arrest, which was a, a three-episode Fox reality channel right. television series where people with outstanding warrants were tricked into coming in to win a prize or something, and oh, then they arrested that, their ass. Yeah. <laughs> you get a free boat if you come along to this lecture. So, yeah. So it's it's funny, but at the same time, you're being a lion scumbag. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, I mean as, as far as I can tell from that rap sheet, he's done everything short of racketeering, pretty much. Oh, yeah, he's... Uh, we'll get into it. Anyway, allegedly, <laughs> the, the U.S. Department of Justice concluded that Arpaio oversaw the worst pattern of racial profiling in U.S. history Jesus. and subsequently filed a lawsuit against him for unlawful discriminatory police conduct. That's, so it's appalling. Yeah. Arpaio and the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office were named as defendants in a dozen or more civil lawsuits that were brought by citizens that were arrested from or by Arpaio and his deputies. And they alleged wrongful arrest, wrongful death, entrapment, and a ton of other claims that ended up costing the taxpayers of Maricopa County $140 million. Fuck me. But he saved money by putting his criminals in tents. So, Oh, yes. I Now I saw that. I saw a BBC documentary. A reporter must have gone around, shoved them all in tents outside in the scorching heat. It was like a mash. It was crazy. and here's the thing about those tents that a lot of people haven't talked about. The people that were in those tents, the ones that were, you know, getting what they deserve, they broke the law. Yeah. Uh, those were DUIs. They were failure to appears. They were failure to pay fines, even uh, um, like not registering your dog and not paying the fine for not registering I'll, your dog could you land you kidding? in the tents. That's yeah, that's ridiculous. Those are the people that were in tents. Estrella and all the other ones. in prison? The indoor people... Um, were the 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 assaults, and battery, and murder, yeah. and rape, and yeah, theft. Jesus Christ! So, congratulations, you failed to register your dog. You're gonna spend six months in a tent. Well, fuck? but there was work release, so you just spend the night in the tent. The, and why the fuck are they was, living in a tent? It's super weird in there too, because it's like they all read the how to go to prison handbook. So it's like segregated by races and whatnot, and they've got oh, people no. that think they're running the yard, even though. It's there's assholes that are in there for like two or three weeks and it's 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 a mess. But that's horrible. You know, he's hard on crime. So (laughs) anyway, apparently hard on anything. He's just hard on people. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus. Remember when I said he was the son of immigrants and the first generation U.S. citizen? Oh, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Well, apparently he's got zero empathy for immigrants because in his time as sheriff and over the course of his career, uh, he was subjected to several federal civil rights lawsuits and in one case the defendant uh, in a decade-long suit in which the federal court announced an injunction barring him from conducting immigration roundups that that was the fun thing where his him and his deputies and the posse members which is where the he deputized old civilian people to dress up in police gear and help them conduct raids where they rounded up maids and uh uh, construction sites and yeah they went after any immigrants that they could or anyone they thought was an immigrant basically anybody that was brown i was they, gonna say that's basically what they're doing isn't it yeah and, and i'm sure these fucking 
you know, deputized pensioners are armed to the teeth with like all sorts of weapons and stuff that they really shouldn't be carrying and using to round people up. That is like fucking Planet of the Apes level it's, craziness right there. Like, Jesus. It's something, I'll tell you. <laughs> that um, is terrifying. Yeah, okay. So the federal order um, said that after, or excuse me, after the federal order was issued, uh, Arpaio's office continued to detain people um, that they said persons of interest for further investigation, but they did it without any sort of reasonable suspicion that a crime was or had been committed or Jeez. was about to be committed. So according to the federal court finding in July of 2017, he was convicted of contempt of court for not following that order. Good. And, well, he was pardoned for that by President Trump in August of oh, 2017. Fucking Trump. <laughs> so in a separate racial profiling case, uh, that concluded in 2013, Arpaio and his subordinates were found to have unfairly targeted Hispanics and in their conducting of traffic stops. And that was also cleared out as well. Oh my God. It's horrible. Now, ironically, in an undisclosed source that's close to me, that might be me, that worked for the sheriff's office briefly <laughs> in 2000 as a detention officer okay. at one of the jails in Phoenix. He yeah. told me this story uh, that some people might call an inmate, inmate abuse. Okay. And, and it has to do with immigration as well. So one morning while uh, my source was working the gate at the jail, mm. a Nazi skinhead right. was booked in and arrested. And when they were processing him, they noticed that he was not a U.S. citizen. He was born in Scotland. Though, oh. you listen to his story, he'd never been to Scotland. He was born there and, and came to the United States with his parents well before ever um, growing up or knowing or learning of Scotland. So he, right. he thinks he's an American for the most part. His parents just keep getting him the visa or whatever, however that works. Uh, okay, I had a, yeah. a friend from Poland that did that too. But anyway, sure. this guy, he's not a citizen. He's born in Scotland. He committed a violent crime. And so now he was on an INS hold, which was what they called it back then, the Immigration mm -hmm. Nationalization. Now yeah. it's ICE or some shit. They yeah, like to change like their acronyms around, keep it fresh. Yeah. Um, so they put him in the two holding tanks that were up front for INS hold. And the detainees of Hispanic descent were crammed really tight into one side, into one of the holding cells. Um. And most of the time there wasn't any toilet paper or anything in there. There was nowhere to sit or poop smeared on the walls, things of Ooh. that nature. It wasn't nice. No. Um, the Nazi was in the other one <sighs> because, you know, you wouldn't want him to do stuff. But then the supervisor came up and he thought it'd be funny. Uh, what if we put the Nazi in the INS hold with the rest of the INS holds? And right. he, he was beaten pretty bad. Yeah. Because he's a Nazi. Yeah, well, people decided he had enough. They moved him into the other cell. And while I don't like Nazis, no. I kind of feel like the dude got some instant karma, but I don't <laughs> condone throwing no. people into the wolves just for a sense of justice or a laugh no. even. You know? No, absolutely no. Everybody deserves, um, you know, protection. You know, no matter what they've done, 
you need to give them a fair trial and you need to give them the opportunity to correct their mistakes or, or whatever it might be. And if this guy is an illegal immigrant, then you need to go through the legal processes that are in place for someone that matches the criteria of the law, it, even if he should probably have been naturalized if he'd been living in the country for X number of years, whatever it is. Anyway, right. but um, yeah, that's... Perhaps also, he was here illegally. Well, yeah, and like if, if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna do that, right? If you have a bunch of people crammed into one cell and one guy just taking up all of the space in the other cell, why don't you essentially move him to a non-cell, handcuff him to a bench, or yeah. something like that, and then just spread them out in the two cells and clean the the dirty one up? Well, doesn't that make sense? He still it does. Safe. It does, and unfortunately, I feel like the story is consistent with the culture of the sheriff's office at that time under Jesus. Arpaio. So it's that's... that's just the start to the poor jail conditions, and I could go on for hours with bad stories and expert yeah. or excerpts from lawsuits and, and whatnot like that, but I'm just... I'm He was here for years. bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he has a long I... history of alleged abuse. The um, funny thing is... Um, uh, sorry, have have you finished with like the history and the story? No, 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 because okay. I, I've got a little bit more to go because okay, go he, it, yeah. he also was investigated for politically motivated bullshit and prosecutions Ooh. like uh, Mayor Phil Gordon okay. of Phoenix. Right. He says that Arpaio's long list of questionable prosecutions was a reign of terror and his targets of the alleged abuse pow of power include Phoenix Gordon or Phil Gordon, the mayor of Phoenix, yeah. uh, Dan Sabin, Arpaio's 2004 and 2008 opponent to the office of sheriff for Maricopa County, Jesus. Uh, Terry Goddard, the Arizona attorney general who let the feds look at his uh, history of abuse, David Smith, Maricopa County manager, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. Those are the people that pay us. Anyway, Barbara Mundell, a superior court presiding judge, Anna Baca, a former Maricopa Superior Court presiding judge. Gary Donahue, Superior Court criminal presiding judge. It, it goes on and on and on. But John Holmberg, the radio show host at 98 KUPD here, was mm. a target. And what? his two were ridiculous investigations that was kind of a common thing our Arpaio would do to probably meet his quota of two, 200 television <laughs> interviews. Um, he yeah. investigated him on two separate times for one for a stunt that involved a dog that he deemed sexual in nature and <laughs> he called animal abuse, oh but goodness. found out that it wasn't. And so that was dropped. Yeah. Then the second time uh, after the DJ had made statements speaking out about him, he also made statements speaking out about gas prices and the recession and how bad it was getting and then he made a joke about wanting to light him on fire it was so bad uh, and those statements brought on charges uh, or an investigation for inciting a riot inciting a riot mm -hmm. so he likes to go after people that don't like him or oppose him or talk about him badly that's as well jesus but he's I, not I, sheriff I... anymore so there <laughs> well, thank God. When was the last time he was sheriff, and what? How many parties were held in the street after he left? Oh my goodness! I I voted against him every time I was able to since <laughs> I was eighteen, and Holy I shit. I he just kept getting elected, and I'm like, what the hell? 
But well. yeah, once he was gone, he was gone and it was good. And I'll wrap up by saying, uh, remember the birther movement? Did you guys hear yes. about that over there? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. he was a, a headliner hard charger on that. He was part of the group of people that challenged Obama's citizenship and actually was the law enforcement officer saying that uh, the long form birth certificate that was released by the White House in 2011 was a computer generated forgery. And then he also let his posse claim that Obama's selective service card was a forgery because old volunteer people know exactly what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, yeah. so it, it goes on and on and on. And he got pardoned and then Jesus. he ran a couple unsuccessful campaigns, one for Senate that he lost to Kirsten Cinema. Uh, oh, no, he lost to Martha McSally. OK, who? Wait, I don't know. One of them, they both ran against each other when he lost to them. So awesome. Yeah. So he lost twice is the key yeah. point. And then he <laughs> ran for sheriff again and lost. Thank God. That was just in 2020. Just, but, just put him on yeah. a fucking rocking chair on the porch and let him just relax. You know, this guy's 90 years old and crazy. Stop letting him anywhere near a polling booth. Jesus. <laughs> uh, you know, so, it's funny. You, Sorry, go on. No, he's just Sheriff Joe Arpaio, just a total dick and yeah. somebody that I think makes a perfect history's greatest oh, idiot. He is <laughs> perfect as as one of our idiots. It's weird, you know, you were saying, um, I don't understand how he kept getting elected. It it, it does, it used to, at least, um, surprise me when Tories would win or when, like, ultra-right-wing conservative i mean ultra right wing we're getting like percentage of the votes uh, right. like like higher than say the green party or something like that and it'd always be like how the fuck is this clearly racist person getting 15 percent of the vote it's because yeah. we both unfortunately it is as much as we don't want to admit it the uk and the us at the core deep down are deeply conservative countries and we we I, want them to be a bit more open, but yeah. I just I say we're also, deeply hateful as a yeah. as a culture. Yeah, <laughs> For some reason, just, we just wow. like to be mad. I know it's so it's so weird. And and in the UK, we don't necessarily like to be mad, but we certainly like to be passive aggressive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it in a quiet and restrained way. Um, it's it's so it's so dark and sometimes we can look at situations that may have shaped the man i'd imagine losing not growing up growing up without a mother i think will probably have meant that he missed out on a certain level of nurture Perhaps. nurturing you know and that kind of empathetic bond that can develop when you have a mother that teaches you about you know feelings and other people's feelings and stuff like that i feel that growing up in that circumstance without a mother and his dad would have been busy with work trying to support the family i guess with his shop it's like yeah. you miss out on so much early emotional development and i feel like that has probably shaped this bastard that we are left <laughs> with now um and I, I i'm sure he will take if you are listening to this you litigious bastard uh, i'm sure he'll take pride in being called a bastard by a Welsh socialist oh, because you know what? Well, I forgot a bit. I forgot oh, a on. bit yes. of the thing where in uh, 2007 he mm -hmm. was compared to the Ku Klux Klan 
Right. And he said he was proud to be associated with such an organization, although he's taken uh, it back and said he no longer has that view. That does mean while he was sheriff, that asshole said he was proud to be compared to the KKK. Fuck me. Sorry, um, I forgot that tidbit. Yeah, Sorry, I've, <laughs> I've grown out of it now. I'm 90 years old. I no longer believe the crazy things I believed in my 80-year-old youth. Um, yeah. oh, fucking hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of so extreme in the decisions he made it's so disturbing that this man had as much power as he did for as long as he did i know and and <laughs> just like that alone shows that there is a deep flaw in the way people view law enforcement and the structure of society and how its laws should be applied Mm -hmm. Most of those people you were talking about who are living in tents, none of those people should really have been in prison. They should have either been in um, recovery or in education programs or in some sort of situation where they were made to be accountable for their actions, but they weren't just shoved in a tent in the middle of the fucking desert. Because yeah. that's not going to help anyone. I don't care. Well, I, I believe in punishment. I don't believe in prison because prison, especially in the UK and the US, just makes people more angry, more resentful, more disassociated from society. It breeds contempt, and that is not what you want. It works in Norway and Denmark and Sweden because they have really good rehabilitation rates, something like 10% of their, their criminals reoffend. Just 10%. Really? Yeah, there is, there's, a, there's a, a prison in Norway, which is an island. It is a working island. It's a farm people who are multiple murderers, rapists, you know, worst kind are sent to this prison. They all live in like these group houses. There's maybe four people to a house. They all have jobs. Sometimes they leave the island to go to their job. They come back at night. They're allowed to see their families at weekends. They come back to the prison during the week. Denmark, they have this kind of open prison where the guards are uh, kind of encouraged to go and have like cups of coffee and sit with the inmates and stuff like that. Their prison system works because they give their prisoners skills, they educate them, and they treat them like human beings. Yeah, and well, and they're they probably not... in nice positions. You yeah, know? they're probably not putting the, the people in jail, though, the way they are here, just because no. they're the dirty, low people that they want away from my eye line. It's you know? just, it's, it's scary how much of a, a kind of an industry the prison system oh, yeah. is in various countries. But this guy, Joe Arpeggio, was it? Arpeggio? Joe Arpaio. <laughs> Arpaio, Arpeggio, that was giving him too much credit there. Uh, Joe Arpaio um, basically started his life slight, potentially scamming people out of half a million dollars, allegedly, and um, and then kind of became a sheriff and applied the letter of the law to the point of Judge Dredd levels of oh, intensity. Yeah. Fuck me. Um, so in terms of scoring this guy, and if you are listening, Joe, hello. Uh, congratulations <laughs> on learning how to learning on <laughs> discovering what podcasts are. Um, yes, this is welcome to your iPhone. Um, I'm going to say he is a solid 89. All right. Um, OK. Usually. <laughs> and and, and the, I would have scored him higher had he not lost his mother at childbirth. I feel like that. I feel like that's a big mitigating factor. I think in so, yeah. Some of his behavior. I feel like in terms of emotional development, not having that anchor to empathy and nurturing and love and stuff, 
I feel like that would have helped a little bit, maybe would have made him a better person. But, you know, it's funny. My grandmother grew up in, in very similar circumstances to him. She wasn't an immigrant, but they were definitely working class, like very poor working class. She was born into the Depression. Her, her father was a qualified engineer, but he was delivering coal because there oh. were no jobs. Yeah. You know, her mother was constantly ill because this is in the days before the NHS when you actually had to pay for a doctor to come out and basically your week's wages will go on the doctor's visit. And then eventually my grandmother's mother died at the age of 12. This is a woman who survived the Depression, lived through the Luftwaffe's Blitz on Manchester for years when she was a teenager. She survived a scarlet fever camp when she Goodness. was a child. She um, was there at the dawn of the NHS when penicillin was discovered and suddenly people started living. Um, yeah. And she, you know, raised a uh, two kids and a bunch of grandkids and stuff. And there's this 90 year old woman who's like four foot ten. And she's just the smiliest, happiest, wonderful person you could possibly meet. And then you got Joe, who's the exact <laughs> same age. And he might be a fan of the Ku Klux Klan. So, <laughs> and yeah. I, yes, he's had a tough life, but not that tough, you know? Right. Yeah. So, well, yeah, yeah. He's, I could, I could complain and tell stories forever on that guy. He's, he just sounds like a, a prick. He's a prick with way too much power and absolutely no consequences. Although I will say that. Um, one aspect of him does lead me quite nicely into my person. Okay, and I'm not going to say what it is, but because because it will give away the story. But there are <laughs> a number of aspects of your guy that definitely apply to mine. So I was kind of str uh, struggling to pick between three people. I decided to go with this after I watched a video, a very good video, um, which you can still get on YouTube about this guy. All you have to do is type in his ridiculous name and you'll you'll get there um and uh i've also um taken these notes from a, a series of articles including uh, the washington post and and uh new york times and a few other places because there's no solid biography of this man's life just the shit that happened really okay so um i would like to now tell you the story of harold nathan uh inverted commas von brownhut <laughs> an inventor, okay. a con artist, and a and a man with a very dark secret. Uh oh. So, Harold Nathan Braunhut was born in Memphis, Tennessee, on March thirty first, nineteen twenty six. Van von Braunhut's first cousin, Herman J. Braunhut, a retired Yonkers, New York high school social studies teacher who now lives in Deerfield uh, Beach, Florida. Uh, recalled uh, of the Brownhuts, they were as religious as most other Jews. Herman Brownhut said, I know they went to the synagogue during the Jewish holidays. I believe he was bar mitzvahed. I was probably there. Um, he remembered that the cousin he knew as Harold Brownhut was in the toy business and was always fooling with different kinds of gadgets. That's that's those two things are very key to this man's story. Okay. Von Braunhut's father died on December the 30th, 1957, and his mother was killed in a car accident on January 7th, 1960. So they both died very close to one another, and he would have been, 
you know, kind of thirties um, at this point. So kind of a shock to the system to lose both your parents at that age right. in, in kind of different circumstances. Although in the 1950s and sixties, you know, people's life expectancies were a bit, still a bit funny, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, but like to lose them both so close together would have been quite a shock to the system. I would um, think so. Yeah. Funeral services for his mother were conducted at a Jewish chapel on Fort Hamilton Parkway in Brooklyn. Both parents are buried at Wellwood, uh, a Jewish cemetery at Pine Lawn on Long Island. Wellwood records show that Harold Braunhut paid a one-time fee of $1,296 in 1979. That is a very important year for him. For the cemetery to provide perpetual care of their graves. So 1979, um, both of his parents were interned at this Jewish cemetery where he paid a fair old chunk of change, $1,296, to have their graves looked after permanently. That's Harold a- von Braun. Sorry, uh, did you want to say something there? I was going to say that's that's a lot of money in that's a lot of money, 79. <laughs> Harold von Braunhut's brother was married in what the bride's sister recalled as a big Jewish wedding, and their son was uh, circumcised by a mohal, a religious officer in the traditional Jewish ritual known as bris. Von Braunhut and his wife were divorced in 1968, the former wife said. Some years later, he married his current wife, or his wife at the time of his death, Yolanda Signorelli, who stayed with him until his death in 2003 at the age of 77. I wanted to say that in an Italian way because it <laughs> makes me feel I like very it. clever. Thank you. <laughs> Signorelli. Uh, in an interview, the man then known as Harold von Braunhort said he attended the City College of New York and Columbia University but did not obtain a degree. Columbia records show a Harold Nathan Braunhort attended business school in 1945 to 1946. So he was only there for one year, basically. The address he gave at the time was 2901 Ocean Parkway in the heavily Jewish Brighton Beach section of Brooklyn, New York. He said he served in the Merchant Marine, uh, served as a Merchant Marine, was a race car driver, got involved in creative product design and development, which is true, actually, um, and produced a television show. All of this information I've just read to you now, Derek, and dear listeners, all of this information is incredibly important because we have to know his early beginnings, his slightly odd choice of career, because like, who becomes like a toy inventor, really? Um, the guy and from prof- Big? Yes, yes. <laughs> the child who became a man in br- uh, Big and then ended up having sex with an adult woman. We won't look into that. It's it's an 80s film. Um, and uh, we also need to note his propensity at making clear statements. You'll see why now. Okay. Um, Braun Hutt used comic book advertisements to sell an at- assortment of fraudulent products. He held 195 patents for various products, many of which became cultural icons. And actually, some of them are really, really good inventions. And I'll tell you them now. Not the first one, or or many of them anyway. Um, (laughs) One of his inventions and one of his patents, which is probably the second most famous, X-Ray Specs. Oh, nice. Which advertisements claimed enabled the wearer uh, to see through clothing and flesh. That's fucking weird. Uh, the product has appeared, <laughs> appealed to generations of curious pre-adolescents. Um, so like I was saying, this is probably his uh, second most famous invention, uh, and it's it's a massive con. I mean, we've all oh. seen them. Even as children, you're like, well, yeah, that's bullshit. 
plastic um, glasses with a piece of cardboard and a pinhole poked in it. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what they are. And But it's like, it's a con that's seen as somewhat harmless because they only cost like a dollar. And right. like the kids are going to play with them and they're going to be like, oh, I can see you. And like they get some enjoyment out of them. So it's like, it's a dollar. It's obviously bullshit. So let's just feed their imagination for a little bit longer. There you go. Um, he also invented crazy crabs, which were just hermit crabs. There's nothing oh. crazy about that. Just just hermit crabs, basically. I went to I went in way different area. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he contracted crazy crabs. No, um, amazing hair raising monsters. A card with a printed monster that would grow hair. It was actually mineral crystals. Uh, uh, when you added water, do you remember those? Uh, I don't know. If I ever don't saw them. know. You'll, you'll probably get to, I mean, the next two, one of them you may not have heard of, one of them you've definitely heard of. Invisible goldfish, imaginary oh, fish Jesus. that were guaranteed <laughs> to remain perpetually invisible. Anyone who bought that, even as a child, I'm sorry, but you deserve to be swindled by this man, you fucking gullible idiot. Uh, <laughs> Invisible oh my fish. It's just a glass of water. <laughs> a glass of fucking water for a dollar. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But by far and away, his most successful invention, if you can even call it that, because it's not a fucking invention, was amazing sea monkeys. Oh, that's yes. right. This man invented sea monkeys. Oh, um, hooray. The good hooray. times. Yes. <laughs> Which, for those of you that don't know, the sea monkeys are not a thing. They're tiny brine shrimp eggs that come to life. When water was added, um, sales took an upswing when comic book illustrator Joe Orlando drew comic book advertisements showing the humanized sea monkeys enjoying life in the underwater fancy world. And it was usually a, like, like a nuclear family. So you'd have like the father and the, the wife and the two kids and stuff. And right. he, he would sell it on the premise that they'll frolic and, you know, they'll form <laughs> bonds and they'll have relationships and they'll even have little sea monkey babies. It's like, no, it's fucking swimming. It's brine shrimp. How have I dropped money on this? Um, it's It probably sold a bunch of kids on the idea despite the outlandish claims. But, you know, again, it's like, it's one of those cons and it is a con. Let's not fucking beat around the bush with this one. It's yeah. like circus level con, this. Um, oh, yeah. Like you might pay three, four dollars, whatever it is, for these things. They might live for a week and then they're dead. It's like it's one of those things. No one's going to sue you for like paying three dollars for something that doesn't really work. But right. other stuff we will get to, which he very much might have been sued for. Um, if you so much as flip through a comic book, a single comic book, sometime after 1962, Von Braunholtz adds had uh might have gotten you curious about whether his doodads uh worked even approximately as advertised van braunhort is quoted as stating i think i bought something like 3.2 million pages of comic book advertisements a year holy crap a year dude dude that's that's a lot of pages that's and as he said it worked beautifully because comic books comic book advertising back in the day especially like in the 60s you're talking silver age now mm -hmm. that, that would have been cheap that would have been cheap print right there and you're printing in black and white you can do a full page spread for like i don't know five dollars something like that fuck me and he was getting that back like a hundredfold and then some yeah. um for wow. sea monkeys the ads portrayed a cheerful family of humanoid creatures bearing crowns of some sort and hanging out by their underwater castle 
Yes. <laughs> Mom had blonde hair. The fine print said something about caricatures, but never mind. The bigger type <laughs> spun a magical tale of pets that would be like a pack of friendly trained seals. Um, if you follow the I know he thought you could he claimed that you could train them. Um, <laughs> if you followed the directions, von Braunhort wrote the copy himself for at least the first couple of decades. Oh, this wow. guy was a salesman at his core. Um, in a lot of von Braunhort, in a lot of cases, von Braunhort's claims were sort of true. They were peripherally true. Like the sea monkeys are a variant of brine shrimp, which are harvested for use as seafood and begin their life as cysts that last for years in a kind of suspended animation uh, mm -hmm. when they're kept in dry condition. They're kind of amazing, actually. It's it's a really incredible process that lets amazing sea monkeys. Yes, exactly. Von <laughs> um, <clears throat> Bronner's creatures came in packs. Uh, they look like white powder, so there's like the magical element to it. Uh, <laughs> with proper care, sea monkeys can grow to be visible and pretty neat, even if they bear no resemblance to the illustration. They don't have crowns. How many people snorted their sea monkeys? You think? I bet loads. <laughs> We're talking the, the 60s? 60s. It's the 60s. People probably like pounding it together, mixing it with a bit of dough oh or something. And like, here you go. Here's a pill. Swallow <laughs> this. Von Braunhut said uh, that he brought he bought uh, sea monkeys because of his love of the natural world and the animal kingdom. Fuck off. You thought you could make a fast buck. And you did. Just be honest about it. Just come out in interviews 30 years after the fact and say, look, it was cheap. It was an easy way of making money. I've built a man a mansion off of sea monkeys. Just just be honest. No one's and people, no one's buying your ex, you know. People still smile and enjoy yeah. the idea of the sea monkey. They do. It's like it's a, it's an innocent con as yeah, as, a little as, bit. It's not a million miles away from the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. It's like it's a nod and a wink. And if you sit you sit children down long enough and get them to think about it, they'll probably come to the conclusion that it doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, <laughs> it's like it's it's part of the process of growing up. So it's an accepted con. Yeah. Um, so apparently, the Safeway near Van Braunhart's house in Brian's Road, Maryland, so he moved to Maryland after a while, would set aside expired bread for von Braunhut and his wife, Yolanda, a considerably younger, chatty brunette, as one of the former store employees uh, remembers. The couple would sometimes buy three, uh, two or three cartloads of the bread at a time. They were Goodness. feeding animals at their 70-acre property, which they called Montrose Wildlife Conservation. This is starting to sound like Tiger King. That was going to say that. <laughs> expired bread. Here you go. Nutritious expired bread for the wild animals. That's, that sounds like, yeah. No, shouldn't be doing that. Legions of children were enchanted by sea monkey lore um, and have seen disappointment uh, turn to their eyes as um, basically the things die after a week. But um, there is a hardcore following for sea monkeys. There are obsessive websites. People have written books about them. There Holy. is there is sea monkey lore. There are fan pages devoted to them. Um, sea monkey <laughs> eggs went into space with John Glenn in 1998. Well, that's kind of um, cool. 
and probably, I mean, they, they probably lasted longer up there because it's zero gravity. Uh, the creatures inspired a bizarre, short-lived live-action series for kids on CBS in the early 90s, and they were featured on South Park and featured in a Pixies song, which is really fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, Michael <laughs> Burnbrown's Empire Pictures bought the film rights to the Sea Monkeys in 2006 to develop an animated movie. We're still waiting for that masterpiece. And I would go to my television and I would rent it or get it from my Prime subscription and watch all the five minutes of it. And I would be proud to say I watched a portion of a Sea Monkeys movie. <laughs> um, Brown Hook was a wellspring of ideas and some of his novelties relied less on inflatable inflated ad copy. He invented, this is probably the most incredible thing he invented. You know when you lie basically from the 1960s onwards you would get the kids would get dolls right and you would lay them down and their eyes would close he invented closing doll eyes oh, that was his take it back That's i know creepy as hell it's fucking disturbing isn't it <laughs> but like to actually like the, the, and you think about it you think about the way this guy seems to think about things the way he does things that actually makes sense because he would have been like, oh, well, you know, you, you put the kid down, you want it to go to sleep. How can I do that? Maybe I'll fill it with liquid and they'll roll back because of you know, the movement or magnets or whatever. And and that's how that's how he thought. So he invented um, doll closing doll's eyes. He also was the man behind the board game Boulder Dash, which tests your ability to call baloney. Um, mm -hmm. I won't linger on the irony. That. <laughs> <laughs> if basically if you grew up in america or probably the uk canada mexico maybe some parts of western europe and you dabbed with toys and games you know there's a chance that at some point you've come across one of um harold brownhood's 195 patents at some oh, point okay. and you might have smiled you know might have brought a moment of like oh uh. You know, like that <laughs> moment of oh, fucking hell. Um, so it all sounds kind of, you know, he's a huckster, right? Right. But it's like, it's kind of sweet hucksterish. You know, he's a bit like Willy Wonka in a he way. He seems like he has like a, a, a science hungry mind a little bit. Like yeah. he does some like grade yeah. school science experiment type stuff that ends up being his inventions. Absolutely. He's a guy who didn't do well in business school, but like he had such a great imagination. He was very good at marketing. He he could spot a niche um, and he could spot a gap in the market. And he would kind of apply various bits of his imagination and marketing to it to make it a success. The thing is, this his last invention is where oh. things start to go slightly dark at first, and then as dark as the blackest nice by the okay. end of a couple of paragraphs in. Uh-oh. He invented the spring whip defensive mechanism, which uh with having means to permanent permit dis disassembly thereof. I don't know. Fucking he wrote the copy. Um, <laughs> this is where it gets dark as fuck. The spring whip defensive mechanism was brought to market as the Kyoga Agent M5 a spring-loaded, rigid whip that telescoped out of its handle. So it's a, you know, like a police baton that you get these oh, days. You okay. see them whoosh, like that, and it whips out, and it forms gotcha. a rigid thing. He invented that as a toy. 
but he marketed it as a defensive weapon. So, um, okay. Yeah. So you've got this (laughs) thing, you press a button, it telescopes out, and Van Braunholt was passing through security at LaGuardia Airport in 1979. um, And his attache case, he had six prototypes of this device. And obviously, it attracted a lot of attention from yeah. the airport security, and he was arrested on illegal weapons charges. Um, I know. And like at that point, you're like, well, maybe that's a bit of a reach. You know, he could have said, no, they're just prototypes, they're toys, it's just a thing. And like, what's what's he going to do with them? He's not going to hijack a plane himself with, mm. ah, you know, <laughs> with batons. <laughs> um, he won a dismissal on the grounds that the Kyoga Agent M5 which this is the really fucked up part, was then marketed at a cost of $59.95. That's $230 in today's money. Was not a bludgeon and did not meet the criteria of any banned weapons. But the device was advertised as uh, the answer to if you need a gun but can't get a license. So he's basically marketing this to um, kind of nervous... Yeah, felons, basically. <laughs> uh, felons, people who are paranoid, people who maybe can't get um, you know, a, a gun license on various grounds. But basically, he's selling them a, a fake. Like, you can't use this thing to... Like, you hit someone over the head with this, you might hurt them a bit, but it's going to break immediately. Oh, okay. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's no good. Um, and also the advert contains, because it's a hornet's nest of piano, wire, steel, springs, uh, inflict excruciating agony on your assailant. A courtroom demonstration showed that its effectiveness didn't quite live up to the billing. It basically broke immediately. Say, it seems like if that breaks open and a hornet's nest of piano wire comes out at you, it could be pretty damn <laughs> yeah, damaging. Yeah, that's pretty damn dangerous, yeah. <laughs> but like, I guess like his argument would be, and I mean, fucking $60 back in 1979 is a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, his argument would be, you pull this thing out, you smash someone in the face with it, right? It will give you enough time to run away. Is And that Fair. would be his argument. Like, they will be so shocked, like, what the fuck did I just get hit with? You'd have like 10 seconds to bolt, right? That's that's all the time you need sometimes to get away from oh, yeah. Whatever it is, you know, situation you're in. Um, it's hard to believe that it didn't work. I know. Could you imagine this man who sold Welcome a scene in the like eye with it? It might work. <laughs> but yeah, if you went straight for the eyeball, then it would work. The question, unfortunately, in the case, because they had to disclose everything about this patent and the production of the thing, they also had to disclose where it had been advertised. One venue that it had been advertised was the newsletter of the Aryan Nations, oh, the anti-Semitic no. white supremacist group. Its founder and then leader uh, was Richard Gernt Butler, yeah. whom the Southern Poverty Law Center called the hub of the wheel of racist revolution, the elder statesman of American hate. That's oh, yeah. fuck. I almost did him as my idiot this week. Wow. Well, there you go. <laughs> We've got a future candidate for you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a really horrible piece of shit. Oh, man. Um, and when Butler was under indictment for sedition in 1987 for allegedly plotting to overthrow the US government, he sent out a fundraising appeal. It included a brochure for the Kyoga Agent M5 and stated that the manufacturer has made a pledge of $25 to my defense 
for each one sold to Aryan Nation supporters. Oh. Butler and his co-defendants were later acquitted by Arkansas by an Arkansas jury because, of course, they were. Um, no, it's Arkansas. Yeah, it's Arkansas. You're white. You're fine. <laughs> Speaking to the Spokane spokesman. Oh, that's a great name for a magazine. The Spokane <laughs> Spokesman Review in 1988, Butler described Harold von Braunhut as a longtime friend who has supported us quite a few years. And in fact, Braunhut appeared frequently at the yearly Aryan World Congress at Butler's White's Only Compound in Hayden Lake, Idaho, sometimes as the lighter of the Burning Cross. Yeah. According to the Los Angeles Times. Holy fuck. Oh, uh, that's just, messed up, man. That's so dark. I told you, dark as the <laughs> darkest night. Uh, an assistant U.S. attorney, Thomas M. Bauer, told the Washington Post that in 1985, weapons case uh, that in a 1985 weapons case against a member of the Ku Klux Klan, Grand Dragon Dale R. Roish, von Braunhort was prepared to testify that he had lent Roish about $12,000 so that he could buy 83 firearms. What the oh. fuck are you doing? Damn, man. I know. <laughs> What? Okay, oh. I'm never playing Balderdash again. No, God, I've never I'm played it before. Every copy of it, mind you, that's probably what he wants. Um, <laughs> Bauer told the reporter that Van Braunhort, this is the U.S. District Attorney now, who went okay. round to interview him, uh, told the uh, the reporter that he was very pleasant and cooperative, and brought some of his little toys along so that uh, the U.S. District Attorney could take them to family members. So, thank you for these bullshit toys that don't work, you <laughs> racist scumbag. Uh, the general Aryan nation's view holds that Jewish people are directly descended from the devil. It seems clear that von Braunhut, who owned Nazi memorabilia, and um, once said Hitler just got bad press, fucking hell, signed on to these beliefs. Oh, wow. <laughs> I told you. How can a toy maker's... Nazi. The guy who well, created Sea Monkeys was an actual Hitler apologist. Um, but one has to wonder what brought him to the point of nodding along with his friend Butler, for in instance, described Jews as the bacillus of the decomposition of our society. Um, Aryan Nations members might have been dismayed to hear that Van Braunhut engaged a law firm called Friedman and Goodman early in his career. They might also have been puzzled that his uh, name was listed on early patents as Harold N. Braunhut, not Von Braunhut, because he adopted that and got rid of the Nathan part quite yeah. early on in his career. It's not entirely clear why the Aryan Nations didn't cast Von Braunhut out after the Washington Post gave a thorough accounting of his Jewish origins in 1988. Von Braunhut said... I will not make any statements whatsoever on the topic when questioned for the article, then stopped returning calls, which is a sure sign that, yeah, that's true. Uh, perhaps the <laughs> Aryan nations allowed Van Braunhort to stay in the fold because Butler liked having a wealthy backer, which is just the most unbelievable hypocrisy. As Floyd Cochran, a former spokesman of the group who later renounced it, has said, Von Braunhort made a lot of money from all those whimsical inventions that kept America laughing. 
and you uh, plowed it straight into these racist organizations. It's such a bummer. It really is. <laughs> it also seems plausible that the Aryan nation, uh, Nations is the kind of organization that believes the Washington Post needs to stop telling lies and get the hell off my lawn. Um, yes. If there's a massive conspiracy to bury the truth and subjugate white people, then the Washington Post is definitely part of it. The, the, this guy is not Jewish. No, even uh. all these court records, they're forged. <laughs> uh, Von Braunhut was listed among a group of outstanding Aryan nationalist leaders featured in a 1984 Aryan Nations Congress held at Hayden Lake, Idaho. His affiliation was listed on the program as Imperial Order of the Black Eagle. What kind of fucking cosplay bullshit is this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Von Braunhut was a leader of the Imperial Order of the Black Eagle, which operated in New York City in the early 1980s, according to the Anti-Defamation League. These people were on his case. At meetings held at the Estonian House in Manhattan, speakers included Reverend Robert Miles, a Fort Smith defendant, who spoke uh, June 9th, 1982. In advance, an Imperial Order newsletter billed Miles as a famous opponent of the communist slash Zionist conspiracy, who is uh, nationally known in the rightist political movements that reflect the highest aims and ideals of the white race. Um, they also said that the Imperial Order was more of a forum than an activist organization. Yeah, whatever, sure. Uh, he said the Anti-Defamation League was unaware of any activities of the Imperial Order since uh, von Braunhut moved from Bro Maryland, moved from Manhattan to Maryland. So as soon as he moved, stopped. Right? Hmm. Which is kind of interesting. So he was the backbone of this fucking Order of the Blonde Dragon or whatever the fuck it's called. I don't know. Um, there's a super dragon and a black raven in there somewhere. Yeah, there's an ice king something. Fucking eagle. It's like <laughs> Game of Thrones. In an interview in January with a Maryland Independent, uh, this is back in 2000, a Waldorf newspaper, Von Braunhort deflected questions about his political activities. I'm not burning any crosses on my front lawn. I'm not holding secret Black Eagle meetings or racial meetings or KKK rallies. I'm not bringing any ideology to the area. I'm sure the residents of Maryland were thrilled to hear that. Uh, the yeah. committee spokesman of S.W.O.R.D. Saved Wildlife Opposed Riviera Developments from Braunhort was, uh, has published ads in the local newspaper sounding apocalyptic themes, which references to Judas Goat business experts and rhetoric urging residents to join our struggle for God, country, and our American heritage of self-determination, which is like, that's really veiled given what we know about him, to be honest. It's a, so strange how they always wrap yeah. in religion with racism and anti-Semitism. Like, it's... Yeah, and they, God like... told they me to hate these people. I know, and they always try and ape the language of the Founding Fathers to, oh, yeah. like, kind of draw you in to this ultra-nationalist hate bullshit. Harold, a Harold von Braunhut was listed as speaking on behalf of Reverend R. Butler, Aryan Nations, at a Washington Sheraton meeting in February the 12th of 2001 of people advocating for the repeal of the 14th Amendment, which granted um, African-American citizens equal protection of the laws. He wanted to get rid of equality. Yeah, get uh, out, out with that. I tell you what, that Aryan Nations and that Butler dude... Between yeah. him and the Turner Diaries, they've been responsible for so many synagogue bombings, the Oklahoma yes. City bombing. Like Fuck. it was that sort of ideology and yeah. that, that 
hanging out at that compound that brought yep. that stuff around. It's it's so dark, and it's it's amazing that they were allowed to operate the way they were without being busted. Like they are, they're clearly a terrorist organization. Like there's no two ways about yeah. it. Why weren't the FBI in their case? Robert terrorist Brock, organization. Sorry, I was going to say terrorist organization funded by sea monkeys. Yes, funded by fucking <laughs> X-ray specs and invisible <laughs> goldfish and sea monkeys. What the fuck? Um, at least the Taliban have got heroin. Um, Robert Brock, I'm going to get in so much trouble for that. Robert Brock, a Californian uh, black separatist who organized the program, said Butler scheduled to stand trial, then recommended uh, Von Braun course, Van Braunhut, sorry, as his substitute. Brock said he called Van Braunhut at his Maryland home. At the meeting, Brock recalled in an interview, Von Braunhut sat at the back as if he didn't want uh, too much exposure. He was kind of a mysterious guy. He made his statement in favor of the separation of races, and he got up and left. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't believe in equality. Bye. <laughs> just Who was that? Just quick in and out. He's mysterious. Well, can anybody <laughs> smell sea monkeys? Um, <laughs> Van Braunhut was often dressed in black. Oh, my God. Said a close friend prevailed uh, prevailed on me to become ordained in 1983, in which he described as a small, ancient church with no local congregation. I'm a priest at large. He's now preaching. So he dressed in black. So he like dressed yeah. up like a priest. He dressed, dressed for the like job you want. Yeah. Um, I don't know what <laughs> kind of priest, but yeah, probably not a good one. Von Braunhut often, uh, oh, sorry, the Anti-Defamation League said rumors have circulated within the extreme right wing about Van Braunhut's Jewish background, but they felt he was a solid, dependable, extreme right winger regardless, uh, that he's one of them and can be trusted. He's Jewish, so we're, we're probably not very happy about it, but we're making an exception because he's got shitloads of sea monkey money. So, <laughs> Indeed, among the pictures adorning the walls, of Von Braunhut's study in Charles County are a German war poster autographed in 1940 by Hermann fucking Goering and an inscribed photograph of Benito Mussolini and a print of World War II German aircraft signed by the Luftwaffe's top four aces. I love the United States, he said. I support the Constitution. Um, I am a very viable individual. I'm not sinister at all, he said, as he stroked a picture of Hitler from the comfort his swastika embroidered chair. And then um, said, want to see my Nazi collection? Yeah, do you want to see? I have a lovely picture on my wall. My middle name is Von. <laughs> Did I mention that? <laughs> uh, members of the Aryan nations wanted to believe what they wanted to believe. For these hateful people, Von Braunhut said all the right things, made the right contributions, and got the same hard time from the media as they did. As the rumors about his past, the Aryan Nation founders uh, founder himself seemed to be looking the other way. Sea uh, monkeys do monkeys. <laughs> what they've gone with no here in this newspaper article. <laughs> it's tempting to think that Von Braunhut's biggest con was convincing himself to buy into the preposterous and despicable ideas. Unfortunately for the world, however, that's not so unusual. Most more extraordinary is this. Richard Gernt Butler, who preached that Jews were descended from Satan, had a man who was known to be born Jewish preside over his wife's funeral in 1995. Harold von Braunt had won Butler over. That's what salesmen do. 
And Damn. that's where the article ends. Fuck me. I started this and I knew some stuff. I knew that he was con man. I knew, that, you know, that most of his inventions were bullshit or like with the doll's eyes creepy, at least. Um, <laughs> and then I got into this and I was like, I have to talk about this guy. He is about as Jewish as you can get in America. And he is now, or he was, he died in 2003 at the age of 77. He is, he was a hardcore Nazi. There's no two ways. He is about as hardcore as you get as a, as a right wing Nazi. Basically. Is it, you think it's self-loathing? I think so. The... I think there's an element of that there. I also think that he's probably just an angry, angry man. Who... I guess, yeah. Hate overcomes all. Yeah. That should be best friends with the Aryan Nations leader. I know. Even though it's... you're Jewish. Even though you are so Jewish that the year you are arrested for shipping weapons through an airport, you've paid a Jewish funeral parlor like $1,300 to look after your parents' gravestones in perpetuity. This is like the same time he's courting the Aryan nations. I forgot about that. Yep. It I, took it's such so a important. turn. Yeah, like <laughs> that. It's so, it's funny because like at first when I was reading this and putting this together, you come to a point with this guy where you're like, this guy's kind of interesting. He's creative. He's imaginative. Yes, he's a bit of a con man, but it's all kind of somewhat innocent. It's quite playful. Uh, it's really kind of sweet in a way because it's part of Americana, like sea right. monkeys, comic books like that's so kind of intricate flea market stuff, you know, and then this. Yeah, hits you. Well, that that's some flea market stuff too. Shit. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, signed Hitler poster, right oh there. Oh my yeah. goodness! Holy shit! So, wow. what do you make of Harold Nathan Braunhut slash von Braunhut? Well, I look. I I like how hard of a turn it took that I forgot yeah. that you mentioned that he paid so much money to to bury his Jewish parents. You yes. wandered great so skillfully into his hanging out with <laughs> the Aryan nations and being a Nazi that forgot all about it just like richard butler did apparently exactly and richard butler was like yeah i'll take his money i guess so, i'm a hypocrite at heart i can still like the guy that made the pet rock though right oh yeah no he's fine and the guy that okay. made the cheer pets like you, you are fine to love those those crazy okay. bullshits but this guy yeah yeah spit on your sea, sea monkeys, monkeys can fuck off yeah all right <laughs> fuck you I sea monkeys it. and the invisible goldfish Jeez. just just because I, number one, I'm impressed that you wandered into Aryan Nation stuff because, like, that's I, I like I like to cover the racist stuff because I think that yeah. more people that know about it and see it, more mm -hmm. people will be like, "God, that's kind of stupid." <laughs> so exactly. they'll stop. Maybe yeah. that's the hope, Hopefully. anyway. But mm. ah, God, there's so much hate, and being the yes. dude that financed it through sea monkey and goldfish invisible goldfish money he's a total dick and he he also yeah. will get an 89 solid i i like that um i i've really enjoyed uh not that because they're both quite dark the connection between our two because they're they're guys who were um you know uh, uh, both first generation immigrants mm -hmm. um and also born around about the same time um, both developed a level of standing of wealth and power and used it to such extremes that they were basically um, evil. 
<laughs> yeah. <end. laughs> um, it's it's so so dark. The connections, and why is it with old, angry people? Why do they go to such extremes like this? Why do you they know? go after the people that are them? I know. What is it? Is it because they hate themselves that much that they have to go after their own reflection? Maybe. Is that what we're saying here? Is I think it, we've is made it because they they spent so little time doing introspection that actually the best way they can get away from the fact that they have not looked at themselves and their lives and their shortcomings and their failings is to hate everyone else that isn't them. Yeah. Or in some cases is them, you know, <laughs> in most cases, apparently in this, this show, but there we go. Harold von Braunhut, the toy inventing con artist, Nazi scumbag and um, <laughs> Sheriff, um, Arpaggio, what the fuck? Sheriff Joe, Sheriff Joe Sheriff, Arpaio, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, the um, totalitarian sheriff, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's our show for this week. Um, kind of ends on a little bit of a downer because they're two really quite horrible people. But the lesson here is, um, don't stop looking at the decisions you're making, the directions you're going in your life, and the way you are behaving, because there is a very good chance if you don't have accountability in your life, or if you have so much power that you surround yourself with, you know, hypocrites and uh, sycophants, you will run off a cliff of hate very, very quickly. And we don't want that from you. We want you to live a happy, peaceful, content life where you accept people for who they are and don't persecute them and spend money trying to eradicate them from the planet. Exactly. So, yeah. Jesus, just treat people the way you want to be treated. Don't be a prick. Exactly. It's kind of the number one rule in life, really. <laughs> um, so thank you so much, everybody. This has been really amazing. Derek, what did you, did you like get a lot from doing this? Cause obviously you've got like almost a personal connection with this subject. A little bit. It's weird that uh, I've followed mm. his career and kind of dabbled into it. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a cop. Sure. My, what do people do? My experience with the police in my teenage years kind of made me not like it and question yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. And when I finally jumped on with the sheriff's department as a detention officer mm -hmm. for all of two and a half weeks... Before I was like, these people are scum. I'm out. Yeah. yeah. And I never looked back. I never wanted to be involved with law enforcement again. Good. It was kind of a bummer. And yeah, shakes it, your, your foundation a little bit, doesn't it? But it, it opened my eyes a great mm -hmm. deal to what can be allowed to happen yeah. openly right in front of people. I guess that's why I guess Trump wasn't so much of a surprise with him just being yeah. an asshole out and open like that. Yeah, because he he coordinated and unified assholes across the nation to vote for one gigantic glowing orange asshole who <laughs> was the perfect encapsulation of everything that was wrong with so many aspects of America. That it you was ever like, noticed, oh, here is our idiot lord and savior. You ever notice his hair kind of like if you pissed into a cotton candy machine? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> There was one commentator on Twitter who said that it was um, three pubes oh. woven into a, a, a cone, <laughs> uh, an ice cream shape on the top of his head. 
and that if you unraveled them, they'd be like three long strands of Rapunzel's hair. But oh. because they were woven so much to make up an actual haircut, they're actually <laughs> just like three strands of pubic hair, basically, on his head. Oh, so shit. Dumb. Yeah. Well, that was fun, man. I mean, it there, we brought, it, we brought it right up. We absolutely <laughs> did. It's funny because, you know, we go to some dark places with this podcast sometimes. Some of the people we discover, you know, murder, horribleness, you know, racism, all of this stuff. But actually, there is a real strength there because... I do hope that people are listening to to this and, you know, if you have been doubting some of the decisions you've made recently or the direction you've gone in your life, just thank Christ you aren't these two assholes, you know, because mm-hmm. they might have got power, they might have got money, they might have had their version of success, but history will not look back on them kindly. It will look back on them as two particularly not nice human beings. So, there we go. The Sheriff... And the toy inventing con artist Nazi. Those are our people for this week. Um, thank you so much for um, joining us. If you would like to become a Patreon, if you'd like to become our first Patreon, go to um, www.patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots. And you can follow us. Our links to social media will be in the description of this podcast. But um, just off the top of my head, our Instagram is history's greatest idiots and twitter is greatest idiots the uh, greatest idiots i should say derek what is the name of your podcast again and where can people find it uh adventures in college safety it is uh, a fun time in my life uh yeah. based on as a security guard at a college before maybe perhaps the mcso happened um it's called adventures in college safety it's a comedy and it's about just being a screwed up young kid being a jackass and <laughs> having way too much authority absolutely it's, it's on uh, spotify and apple Podcasts, and it's hosted at uh, anchor.fm slash adventures in college safety fantastic and uh yeah thank you so much everybody and we will see you in a couple of weeks take care now bye